Uh, If you have your Bibles today, would you turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. And I'm going to, if you guys don't know where Hebrews is in, it's in the New Testament, after all the books that start with T. You're welcome. Uh, So if you have, there will be in Hebrews chapter 4 today. Uh, If you guys don't know me, I'm Pastor Matt. I'm an elder here. I work uh, with uh, youth and discipleship primarily. And uh, I'm really excited to be uh, able to teach from Hebrews. Uh, Pastor Tim, I know know, we're so thankful for our being able to go to this Acts 29 conference. And I'll tell you what, there are two things that energizes a preacher, good preaching and bad preaching. Okay, like when you hear good preaching, you're like, oh, I want to do that. You hear bad preaching, you're like, well, I can do better than that. You know, we are good preaching this past week, and I'm so, it, was, it nourished our soul. I'm thankful for it, and so uh, I, I'm excited to be here today. And so we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1, if you'll, you'll follow along with me. The author writes by the Holy Spirit, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world... For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through through David so long afterward, In the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is exposed, is, is, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Lord, your word is a sword that pierces us. It does spiritual surgery God, cutting through the hard-heartedness, the callousness, the dullness of our thinking and our beliefs, God, I pray that you would do work in our hearts today as we open up your word. We ask for your help. We ask for the illumination of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this section in Hebrews is is part of a a larger section that Pastor Tim talked about last week, all the way from uh, chapter 3. And there's really... I'm going to ask, I'm popping a lot, is that my problem or do I need to, if, if I'm doing something, I hope I can, hope I can stop it. Is it this thing, is it my beard? Okay. Hey, can I get a razor? <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not shaving a beard. Um, 
So the first verse of chapter 4 gives us really kind of a summary and tells us some good news. There's a wonderful promise that we're going to spend some time unpacking, and it's the promise that God's rest, that that we can still enter into something called God's rest, that the door is still open to enter into God's heaven, to enter into a relationship with the Lord, to enter into the kingdom of God. It's really encouraging that that door is still open, that it's not closed. However, he says, his, his, his warning here is let us fear. And the reason why he says that is because he says, hey, that door is open, but it's actually possible that even though that door is open and you're looking at it, you may not actually walk through it and you'll fail to, to be able to enter into God's rest. He's writing to, to the Hebrews. He's writing to Jewish Christians who have heard the gospel who have heard about Jesus, who have have heard all the promises of God, and and they are part of the congregation. And he's writing to them saying, hey, you're church people. You've heard all this before. But just because you sit and you listen to this good news and you're sitting next to a whole bunch of other people who believe, don't fool yourself into thinking that just because you're sitting in the row of the church, that you're actually part of the church, that you're actually... Uh, part of these promises unless you believe. And he says we should, we should be circumspect, right? We should be cautious. We should be thoughtful about where our own hearts are. And the, the author is going to draw from the history of Israel to present an analogy. And you remember, you've seen maybe The Prince of Egypt, that old movie from DreamWorks, right? Or you've read the book of Exodus, and you're familiar with the story that God saved his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt, that he brought them out by many signs and wonders, that he brought them through the Red Sea, that he fed them with manna in the desert. He did all these amazing things, right? And still, after they saw all these amazing things daily, they ate manna from the ground. They saw, you know, the the cloud by day, the fire by night. They saw amazing things, and still they did not believe. And he says, just by virtue of, like, being with the group, you know, that went through the sea and went through, just, it's not as though just membership in that group means that they were going to inherit the promises. And he says the very reason why they did it is because they didn't believe. They weren't united by faith. And so he's using that that story of the Old Testament to say, hey, there's a greater truth. It was true for them, but it's also true for us that merely hearing the gospel doesn't save you. Hearing and believing does. So his, his warning here, he says, let us fear. He says, let's not make the same mistake that ancient Israel did. At the very end of the section I read, verse 11 kind of gives a similar exhortation. It says, let us strive, therefore, to enter that rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So this whole section has that kind of warning and promise aspect. Like, hey, here's the warning. Let us fear. Let's, let's actually assess the state of our hearts. Let's let God's word, which is living and active, pierce our hearts and do some serious work then let's also strive to enter. Let's continue in faith, continue in our confession. So, but throughout this whole thing, throughout this whole section, there's this promise of God's rest. And and, and that can be like, what is he he talking about there? And I'm going to kind of actually put a little bit of a bookmark in Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm going to turn to, to move back to a passage the author mentions in verse 4, as he's talking about, you know, uh, that somewhere he has spoken of the seventh day in this way. 
When he's, when he's teaching us about entering God's rest, he's, he's, he's calling back to all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to have a slide here to read from Genesis 2 to talk about God's rest. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, that may, that may sound odd as you, as you read that. You know, we believe that, you know, God does not get tired, right? God was not like, whew, that was a lot of work. I'm, I'm out of breath. I'm just going to sit down, right, and just let this marinate for a while. That is not what God was doing. He was not exhausted. He rested from his work, meaning he ceased from his activity. He had accomplished all that he'd done, so, all right, the work is done, I'm going to sit back and enjoy it. He's, God is still sovereignly reigning over his creation. God is still active. God did not set the world spinning and then step back and just say, I'm going to let that thing run. No, God is actively ruling over his word. He's not absent or neglectful, right? But rest here implies that he completed and is enjoying his work. That's why after every day of creation, it says that God said, this is good. On the sixth day, this is very good, right? He can sit back and say, that he had done good work. You, you've probably experienced some of this, you know, where you've done a job to completion and you're able to like sit back and enjoy that it's done. Recently at my house, um, there was a large commotion. Often at my house, there's a large commotion. I have four kids. But um, we had this giant wire shelf that ran the length of our garage and we put all of our camping stuff on there. We're avid campers, or at least we aspire to be. And all of our stuff was building up and getting heavy, and it wasn't meant for that load, so boosh, it all came crashing down. I still think there was a conspiracy for my children who were hanging on it, but somehow it crashed down. And I thought, okay, I've got to replace this. And I, so I found a wall, and actually I have a picture of it. I found a wall, and I said, I'm going to, you know, and I, I, I went to work. I spent a month, Monday's our day off, and I went ahead and said, I'm going to go buy some lumber, and I'm going to do the work. I struck some, you know, I, I used the, the, marked the studs, and I struck a chalk line, and made my cuts, and mounted my boards, and I made a shelf. And I was really excited when it's done. Now, not, guys, I have no illusions that this is a great work of art. It's a shelf. All right, my, my dad growing up made all the cabinetry, I mean, in our house, and it's meticulous, I couldn't do that, right? This is not Brent Silliman-style work, okay? This is a shelf. But I was really excited when I was done. You know, I did one of those things where I'm like, four times I asked my wife that day, like, you like that shelf, don't you? <laughs> and I found myself, like, at the, I, I have, like, a, a dad routine at the end of the night. I always, like, go lock the doors, you know, and everything else. And, like, but I went out in the garage, like, I just admired my shelf, I mean, but there's, there's, you may have experienced that, right? There, there's something, you're able to sit back and enjoy your work, right? And that's what's going on here. God finished his work of creation. He was, he was done, right? And so he, was, he sat back and rested in that sense. God made a good world according to a wise plan. He accomplished what he set out to do in creation. And then he rested. And that rest, in some sense, has never ended, right? He was finished. We, however, are not. God put mankind, men and women, on the earth, made in his image. He put us in a garden to work it and to keep it. God actually made us not just to like exist, but he gave us work to do. Right? And that way we are like God. God made a world and it was a little, and when he made it, 
He made it with baked in a little bit of chaos, right? It was the wilderness. But he, he, he said he made us in his image with the idea that we were going to bring God's rule to earth. He equipped us so that we could bring, have dominion over the world, so we could bring God's glory, God's order, God's goodness to creation as we, being image bearers of God, multiplied, had families spread out over the world. And this was to be a joyful thing, right? Then someday, the idea was, is we would do this, we would fulfill this mandate that God gave us, and that we would enter into God's rest as well, right? We would, in some sense, earn that rest. Theolo- if this interests you, theologians sometimes call this the covenant of works. This is, an old, this is what happens in, in that specific period of time. It was going to be great. However, sin entered the picture, and as sin always does, ruined everything. A problem arose in our in humans' hearts, and we began to disobey God's commands. This is talked about in, in Genesis chapter 3. We began disbelieving God's promises and not obeying the directives that he gave us. And selfish pride, began. we began putting ourselves in God's place, and, and, and we, we began to be cut off from God. And, and something really kind of terrible happened when sin entered. It became impossible for us to finish the original work that God gave us being separated from God, not being like him anymore, not really wanting to accomplish his will, we can no longer image him on the world as we're supposed to. We fail to rightly represent God in the world, we, to spread the glory of his name. You know, as we multiply and fill the earth, we just kind of make more and more of ourselves, which is sinners who fill the earth. And rather than bringing God's goodness and order, which we do in some degree, but it's always kind of tainted because as we spread out, we bring disobedience and confusion and wickedness. I was talking to my core group last night. That's a youth group. We have like small life groups with, with our guys. And I was saying like, man, one of the, the, the terrible things about sin is it infects everything. Every time we, we, we have this great capacity to invent new technologies, right? But every time there's like this new technology, we like find ways to like use it to sin and do evil, Right? Secular humanism is always, you go back and watch like Star Trek, it's always this idea that like science will save us. It's going to cure all of our diseases, it's going to cure poverty, it's going to finish war. No. Because our sinful hearts, whenever we get more money, more technology, more power, we always use it for evil ends. That's, that's kind of what happens. That's what sin has done to us. And here's the thing. So God made us to do a work that because of sin, we no longer can do. However, we're still responsible and accountable for that work that God originally created us for, but we're unable to complete it. And since we can't complete the work, we can't enter the rest. Are, are you following me? And for this reason, I think we, we experience that, you know, you're thinking that sounds very, you know, Old Testament sounds very theological, and it is, but for, it's for this reason that life often feels so frustrating and futile and exhausting and unsatisfactory. I mean, we do have some joy in work still. I, I built my shelf, right? We still have some, some delight in things, but for many of you, it feels like you're supposed to be doing something in life, but you can't figure out what you're supposed to be doing. You don't really know what it is, and even if you think you know and you try your best to do it, it doesn't really quite work out. All of humanity is trying to find our purpose in life. Animals aren't doing that. They're not looking for, you know, for, for meaning and purpose in life, but we are. And because we're sinners separated from God, there's a disconnect. 
We don't quite, we can't make the work happen and we don't ever actually experience the rest. So, so life feels like hard work that feels endless. Enjoyments are there, but they're fleeting and few. And if I could use one word to describe what life often feels like, it's restless. Have you ever felt that? Just feel like, man, life, it, it has moments of goodness, but you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? We can be restless. So rather than completing the work God gave us to do, sin actively causes us to work against God's purposes. We disobey Him and His will, and the world gets worse. We work aimlessly, and there's no rest in sight. That is, until Jesus came. And this is the good news. This is the good news that the author of Hebrews is kind of reminding his audience, he's reminding us that God made the world so it would be filled with the glory of his name. I love this picture that the, the, the glory of God would, would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And the first man, Adam, failed, and we all have failed as well. So God sent another who would not and could not fail to do the work he sent him to do. God sent his only son, not created in the image of God like us, but as Hebrews tells us, the very uncreated eternal image of God, that he radiates the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And this man, Jesus Christ, came to finish the work that we failed to do. He, re- he revealed to us the will of God, the knowledge of God we'd lost. He lived the perfect life of obedience we were supposed to. In Jesus, by his ministry, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, he has erased all of our failures. He forgives all our rebellions. He finishes our work. He fulfills our obligations so that we can finally rest. And this isn't a rest that you've earned, right? He says, hey, I've done your work, so now you can enjoy God's rest. So you can rest with me, resting with God and that's kind of the backdrop for this passage. God, you know, and that's why he's talking about this Sabbath rest. That God says, hey, I have done the work for you that you failed to do. That's my grace. And guess what? Now you just get to enjoy the satisfaction of joy of life with God. Rest from dead works that could go nowhere. I've done the work for you. Rest with me now. So God's rest is open to those who will trust him. And we see the, the promise of entering God's rest also, you know, in, it's pictured in the Old Testament both by the Sabbath and also uh, by Israel's entrance in the promised land, right? They were going through the wilderness to a land that God was going, was going to be a land of rest for them. The author of Hebrews writing to his audience, those who've heard the gospel of Christ, who profess belief in it, but he wants to warn them, hey, that rest is open to you. It's there. But be afraid, meaning cautious, right? Think about where you're at, where your heart is at. Be cautious. You should be concerned about the state of your souls. Why? Because there are plenty of examples of people who have heard the promises of God but failed to receive the benefits of them because they didn't, they didn't believe. All right. I think I'm going to switch to this thing. Are we good? Amen. The example from Scripture that if you remember from last week, Pastor Tim was talking about, was where David uh, is mourning the belief of the Exodus generation. 
right? They were a people that came, they were enslaved to Egypt, God brought them through, but they lacked the one thing that God required of them. They were going to enter the promised land. God did all the hard work. I mean, they're in slavery, and God can't, you know, and the people are like, hey, we, we can't rise up against Egypt. Like, we're, we're slaves. We don't have weapons. We can't free ourselves. God's like, oh, I'll take care of that. But we can't get to the promised land. There's, there's no, they're going to chase us down. Oh, there's, there's a sea there? Okay, I, I, will, I will cross that through. Okay, well, well, when we get there, we're going to be in the wilderness. It's, not, it's a long distance to get to this promised land. There's no food? I'll, I'll feed you. Don't worry. What about water? I'll bring water from a rock. Okay, I mean, like, you just, every complaint, every, every hindrance, every obstacle, God, like, I have an answer for that, right? They, and they even get to the land, and, like, and God's like, I will, I will actually fight on your behalf, right? You will destroy all these nations in Canaan that I'm bringing judgment on. They're all like, no, they're too tall and scary. And finally, God's like, enough. You will not enter my rest. Because you lacked the one thing. I was doing all the work so you could have the rest, and you just failed to do the one thing required of you, Israel. He failed to believe. I want you to imagine something. Like, like how, how, how big of a deal this is. Imagine just for one moment that today, Pastor Tim came up, and when he was doing community news, when he shared, we shared an announcement, say, congregation, we know that many of you are needing rest. Right? Many of you are worn out, you're tired, you know, and you could just use a break. And so we want to announce that next October, we are going to have a retreat that there is a brand new retreat lodge at Acadia National Park that we are really excited about. And we're going to make this a church trip that you can go to. All right, there's going to be hiking. There's going to be canoeing. This lodge is exclusive, and we have the whole thing, right? There's going to be um, an indoor pool. There's going to be a spa. There's all that kind of stuff. There's going to be sightseeing. And you know what? And we're going to have a speaker there that's going to speak and just bless your soul, right? And we're going to have worship on the campfire. Some of you all are getting excited. It's just an illustration, okay? <laughs> but, yeah, we're going to get this, you know, and it gets even better, right? You're gonna be, your whole family can come, and it gets even better. We have a patron who's going to go unnamed in our church who has decided that, that he wants to bless the congregation. This is an all-expenses-paid retreat, right, including the flights, including the bus that's going to take us to the airport. Just sign up online, and we can reserve your spot, and we'll get there. And you'd probably be, like, excited, right? You'd probably, this is awesome, right? And you'd probably, like, go online. Like, if you, when, you, when you get a trip like that in mind, you go online and you start looking at maps. Like, what's around there? What restaurants can we eat at? What trails are we going to take? You know, and what do we need to bring? You know, you, you'd ask off from work. Maybe ask off, you know, prepare to get your kids off of school and everything else. You'd pack your bags. You'd, you'd be talking for, like, a year. Like, I'm so excited about this, right? Just imagine you do all that. You have all your bags packed, you know, and, and you, you have an itinerary. You bring your kids in tow, and you get to the, the YMCA parking lot the morning of, there's the chartered bus there, and they're, you know, they're, they're waiting to put you on to take you to the airport, and you get up to the front, and they have the, you know, the, the, the clipboard, and, sorry, your name's not on the list. <laughs> I'm sorry? It's, your name's not on the list. There's, we don't have a ticket for you. We don't have a room reserved for you. Like, your name's not on the list, because you forgot to sign up online. Could you imagine that, the disappointment of that, right? If, like, everything was paid for, everything was prepared, you forgot to do the one thing, which was sign up online, like that simple thing. Man, that would be terrible. Can you see where I'm going with this analogy? God has done all the work. He sent his son Jesus to do all the work 
so that we could enjoy rest with him. Rest from dead works in the world of righteousness, trying to you know, make ourselves suitable for God. It doesn't work. I've done that work for you. Rest from the sinfulness of our own hearts. Rest from the trials of this world. Rest with God. He's done all the work. But can you imagine, right, you'd be disappointed. But imagine the disappointment and despair if you missed out on, I'll put it this way, your all-expenses-paid trip to heaven. Imagine growing up, going to church your whole life, growing up in a Christian family, as many of you have, hearing the gospel, singing the songs, memorizing verses, doing all the right things, doing all the right stuff, going along with the church crowd, and at the end of your days, you stand before the gates of glory and hear the most dreadful news you could hear. Your your name's not on the list. Hear this. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Hebrews 4 tells us that those of us who believe receive the promises. Right? Look there in verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. It's a set thing. If you trust in Jesus, you have that rest. You have the promises. You've already entered God's rest. But for those who do not believe, this good news of entering God's rest, the gospel of grace, salvation, is of no use to you. Even if you spend your whole life hearing it and never believe. Look at, look at verse 2, right? It says, For the good news came to us just as it did to them, referring to ancient Israel. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Now, they were united like in a similar experience. They'd all gone through the Exodus. They'd all gone you know, through these many trials. You know, they were united by that, united by they were all Israelites. But they were not united by having the same faith. Some did, some did not. Just by virtue of being in this room right now or growing up in church or going to a Christian school does not automatically confer faith upon you. And God is not messing around. That's why I said, let us fear. In Psalm 95, um, we saw that quoted in Hebrews three times in this section. In verse 311, in verse 4, 3, and 4, 4, he says it again and again. You will not enter my rest. God's not being mean here. He's asking us to be sober-minded if you fail to believe. Guys, the Holy Spirit is writing here to people who are in the church. He's writing to people who grew up or who have heard the good news of Christ, who, who claim the label of Christian, right? Who, who show up for Sunday morning. So this is a warning for all of us here today. Listen to me. There's one question And one question alone that will grant entry into the eternal rest of God. What have you done with Jesus? Have you believed in me? Did you trust in Jesus, the Son of God? Is he your Savior? If not, what are you trusting in? And some of you have incredible God-given privileges. Like, he has given you an amazing grace in your life. He has made it as easy as possible for you to enter heaven, right? You have a Christian family, many of you. Right? Maybe even both parents are believers. 
You're, maybe some of you are brought up in church most of your life. You, know, you went to VBS, you went to Awana, you went to Young Life, you went to, to youth group, you went to you know, camps and retreats and mission trips. You, you know, some of you maybe were even homeschooled or private schooled so that you'd get like a little extra Christianity in your education, right? Guiding you in some explicit Christian values. Some of you went to Christian colleges, right, or were a part of Christian clubs, Okay, at like crew or something at a, at a college. So maybe you, you grew up going to solid Bible-believing churches that love the Lord Jesus, right? That didn't, as we talked about earlier, didn't pivot from the gospel of Christ. They weren't preaching theological liberalism. You sat under godly men who preached to you week in and week out. Sunday school teachers who, who taught you week in and week out, who prayed for you daily. You were part of service projects, building campaigns, maybe even gave regularly. Will any of that be of any benefit to you? Can you put that on your resume when you get to the heaven's door and say, here you go, here's all the stuff? No. At the end of the day, the question is one, did you accept Christ? God will ask, what did you do with my son? And honestly, all that stuff I just listed, that's you. If you have all of that and you still don't accept Christ, that's going to actually go to condemn you because you've had every opportunity. And that is why the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, let us fear. Right? He's not trying to create an unhealthy doubt in your mind if you're a true believer. He's trying to say, hey, he's trying to settle you. He's trying to shake you. Hey, is this real for you? Or are you just kind of going along? I heard a preacher once say it this way, and I can't pull it off the way he did, but he said, your mama can save your seat in church, but you can't save your seat in glory. And so the Holy Spirit of God is writing through the author of this book, asks you today, do you Believe in Christ. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Is he your Lord or just your parents? Just your husbands, your wives? So what should you do? Well, we should fear lest we fail to enter God's rest by, by faith. But he gives some hope because this isn't, this isn't all dour, right? He's asking us to be sober-minded. But he says in, in, in verse 6 that there remains, it, that it remains for some to enter. He's saying, hey, let, let's just pause for a second. David wrote Psalm 95, which is what he's quoting extensively here from in, in Hebrews 4. And, and he wrote this long after the Exodus generation, long after Israel entered the promised land. Moses never entered himself, but Joshua, after Moses, led the people of Israel through conquest, and they went into the rest of the promised land. But, he, but, uh, but, he's, but the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, David lived hundreds of years after Israel was in the promised land. And, and, and so the promise of God's rest did not end, wasn't completed when Israel entered the promised land. And he says, and that's true because in Psalm 95, he has this quote, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And the author of Hebrew reasons by the Holy Spirit, the fact that he says today you can still enter into God's rest means that there was something more that God had in mind than just Israel entering the promised land. That God's rest is more than that. That, that the promised land was just a picture. It was foreshadowing that there is a greater rest that God is going to let us enter into. We experience some of that now, right? The scriptures tell us that those who have believed, verse 3, enter into God's rest. We, we have some relief from the world, right? We have some relief from our own sins right now. We enjoy fellowship with God. This, this is a cool thing. If you're a believer in Christ, rejoice. You have peace with God. And you are, in some sense, experiencing God's rest. 
right? You're no longer at war with him. Rather, he is your father and your friend. But we also have this greater rest to look forward to, this rest which is heaven. And so he's saying, hey, there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people, right? So he's writing to these Hebrews, he's writing to us, don't lose out on us. Don't lose out on this. So we have here this promise and this invitation. Strive to enter that rest. He says this really interesting thing. Jesus has appointed a day for you to sort this out. He has appointed a day to move things forward. He has given you an opportunity to be honest with yourself, to assess yourself, to stop faking it, and to place your trust in Christ without shame. He's actually appointed a day for that to happen today. You know, I've sometimes wondered why, you know, God doesn't save everyone that he intends to save at a very young age. I've wondered why. As some people he does. Some of you maybe came to Christ at a very young age. My oldest daughter, Addison, uh, heard the gospel from a very young age. From the crib, we were reading the Jesus storybook Bible to her and the, the big Bible storybook. All, this, all the Bible storybooks we were reading to her and, and praying over her. And I used to, you know, sing, you know, hymns in her ear to put her to sleep. She heard Bible stories, we took her to church, we prayed with her every night, she understood the gospel early on, and we, we never like pressured her to believe, we never like said, so, you know, we baptized? Like, we never did that, right? But at a young age, she just started asking, like, what's baptism about? Can, can I do that? And we actually like held off a little bit, because we we're like, I don't want you to do this just because like I'm a pastor, like, you know, and, we, and the, she kept pressing, and she kept asking. So then... Um, at some point, we said, okay, we can't, we can't hold off any longer. We had her speak to an elder and, uh, to see if she was ready for baptism, that, you know, as, as we do here at Living Hope. Uh, and in 2019, I got a slide here, um, when she was just eight years old, I was able to baptize my daughter at Summit Grove. And that, that's actually one of my favorite pictures in life, right? My, my joy to baptize my child at a young age. And I'm so glad she came to Christ early on. For some of you, that's your story, right? Some of you, praise God, that's you, right? And, but it's not that way for everyone, right? S -s some people don't come to Christ for a long time. No, no matter if they're, if they're growing, maybe they grew up in a Christian household, maybe they didn't, but they, they just don't come, they aren't a Christian at a young age, right? Maybe Some people, maybe they hear it, the gospel at a young age, maybe they don't, but they go on like a detour in their life for like a long time. I was on the cusp of that when I was young, right? I, I, did, I grew up in the church, but like right around middle school, I started being like, I just really enjoyed sinning, okay? And I really was going to go a distance. I started going like a, a crazy direction, and God like let the leash loose on me for just a little bit, like just so I could go a little bit. And then he's like, okay, that's enough. Come on back, man. But for, for some people, that leash is, it seems like God lets it go really long and really far, Right, and some of you who were saved at a young life, you know, at, at, a, at a young age, you know, you, you, for those of you who have like a, a boring testimony, like I, I got saved at VBS at six. Like, praise God that you have a boring testimony, right? That God saved you from a life of regret and mistakes, and, and things that you would live with for the rest of your life. Don't be sorry. Praise God if your testimony is boring, because you have no idea the train wreck that He just saved you from. And that he kept you in his grace. But some of you, he's let run loose and wild. And you've done things that you wouldn't want your mom to know about. 
You made some really bad life choices that are still affecting you. You picked up some bad habits. You hurt yourself. You hurt others. You've been destructive. You've maybe burned a few bridges, wasted opportunities. And, and maybe like you, you're wrestling with like regret and shame in your life. Right? And, and, and maybe you're wondering, like, why didn't God save you earlier? Why didn't God like keep you from doing all of that nonsense? And I've thought about that, and I don't know. He's God, right? But for whatever reason, maybe God let the leash loose on you for a little bit so that when you finally hit 25 or 30 or 42 or 62 or 70 or whoever it is, you'd finally, when you've gone far enough, when you've made enough mistakes, you'd actually come to a place where you recognize, oh, wow, I can't be proud anymore because I've been humbled by my life, and I need a Savior. And maybe you would have never got there. Like, you would have never loved Jesus to the degree that you will unless God had let you run wild and free into foolishness and sin. And maybe that's God's story for you, right? That, that, you're, that he's always had your name in his book, but in his wisdom he decided to loosen the leash on you so that when you had your fill of the world and it had its way with you, when you're used up, beaten down, dirty, and broken, and you finally have enough sense to come to the throne of grace freely and joyfully. And when you come, you'd find a Savior who's been waiting all along with the promise of a much-needed rest. Perhaps you need to find out the hard way that sin isn't worth it so that you can joyfully say, along with the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, also made a wreck of his life before Christ, he says in Philippians 3.7, "'Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ.'" Indeed, I count everything, meaning everything that I did in my past life, every good accolade, every pleasure, every joy, everything I count as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And maybe God has let you. If you're a believer now and you came to Christ late in life, maybe that's so that you would be able to say that very same thing. But you could also be here today, and you're not yet a believer. And you've been sitting in church for a couple weeks or even a couple years. Maybe that's you. You made a grand mess of things. And maybe you've never accepted Christ. Well, guess what? God has appointed a day where that can change, and that day is today. God has an appointment for you today, so don't wait until tomorrow. Enough's enough. Don't, don't, don't keep playing. Don't, and, and Scripture says, and he says it multiple times, today if you hear his voice, not my voice, okay? Scripture, if you hear that, don't harden your heart. Don't just go along your merry way and say, whatever. Because that's what hardening your heart is, right? You know what hardening your heart is? It's just like ignoring. It's just like, I feel this conviction in my heart. I feel this, you know, like, oh, there's something you need to do here. You feel... Something inside you pushing you to move forward and put faith in God and obey. And you're just like, you know what? If I just don't do anything, that voice will go away. That's what it means to harden your heart. And God says, don't do that. And if you're at a place where you're like, you know what? I'm glad to be here, you know, I'm, I'm, but I, I just, I've done a lot of stuff, right? And maybe it's too long. Maybe that window is passed. There's this great story in the Gospels where Jesus is crucified, but he's not crucified alone. There's actually two people with him, two criminals, right? Jesus is an innocent man. There's these two criminals who are crucified next to him. And they're actually, they're, they're, they're dying. 
and they're conversing with Jesus. And one of them is mocking him, right? Because he's angry. He's bitter. He ruined his life. He knows he's going to die. He knows there's no way out. He's bitter and angry. And he says, you know what? You're supposed to be this great king. Hey, tell you what. Why don't you save us? You know, and he's just kind of mocking him. And this other guy, he is also being crucified. He's made a wreck of his life. He's, but he's, he's at the end of his rope. He's got nothing left to lose, right? And he, and he simply says, you know, why, why, are you, why are you mocking this man? He hasn't done anything wrong. We have, but he hasn't. And then he says this simple phrase, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what Jesus doesn't say to him? He doesn't say, sorry, bro, it's too late. He doesn't say, are you serious? I know who you are. I know what you're thinking. I know what you've done. The answer is no. He turns to that man, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will rest with me. And all this will be gone. As there will be a great and unfortunate number of church kids and religious people who will never enter the great gates of glory. Because they failed to do the one thing that God asked of them, which is embrace his son, Jesus Christ. Yet there is at least one thief who made a train wreck of his life in the very last moments, called out on Christ and did the one thing he's supposed to do, which is believe. So there's at least one thief who's entered God's rest. Why not you? Today's the day. Don't go home and leave all this behind. Don't, 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 don't just say, you know what, I'll, I'll think about that maybe another time. No. Like, God is calling you. God's calling you. Don't harden your heart one more moment. Don't go home. Don't go watch football or something else and forget, right? Boldly come to the throne of grace and find a Savior and a friend who's done the work so you can rest. Verses 12 to 13 tell us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, that this verse gets used a lot to talk about how powerful God's Word is. You know what it's saying is that this is not just a book that we read, right? This is a book that reads us. This is God's way of saying, I'm going to get through to your heart because I know it's calloused, I know it's hard, and, and there's one thing that can get through our hearts, that get our attention, and that's God's Word. So I'm not up here preaching, believing that like through, through my speaking, I'm going to get your attention. I do believe the Holy Spirit of God speaking through His Word can get your attention, though. So while we may fool ourselves, while we may just kind of ignore things, you know, we cannot fool God. He knows who belong to him. He knows who has faith. And he also knows who's just going along with the church crowd. And so the author of the Hebrews uh, warns us in the beginning of this chapter. He says, let us fear, right? Are you a believer in Christ or, or are you just in church? He says, I want you to enter God's rest. I want you to unite with those who have faith in Christ and enjoy all the blessings, all the promises of God, right? And, you know, and, and there remains this, this rest we experience here, but we experience it in the greatest degree in heaven, right? Where, as, as my brother Ed said last night, there's no hospitals, there's no children's hospitals, there's no cancer, there's no sickness, there's no war, there's no threat of nuclear war, there's no viruses, there's no fighting, there's no death, there's no aging, there's no sickness, there's no loneliness, there's no anxiety, there's no boredom. 
There's no pain or suffering. None of that. There's just glory and joy and peace with God and his people forever and ever in abundance. And God has done everything. He says, do you believe in my son? So he calls us to assess the state of our heart. Are you a believer in Christ? Are you joined with his people in faith? If so, he wraps up with another exhortation. He says, therefore, let's strive to enter that rest. Right? Let's, let's, let's press on in faith. Let's keep running. Let's keep pursuing. Let's keep on believing. Not just saying, well, I believed that one time at camp. Yeah, I, I, I raised my hand when they were given the altar call. Yeah, I did that. No, no. Keep on believing. Keep on striving. Keep on resting in Christ. I'd like to wrap up this morning and, and, and call the worship team up. I'd like to wrap up with this verse from Jesus, this, this invitation that he gives, which is the invitation I'm going to leave with you. Jesus says this, Come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are the God who has created us. You have formed and fashioned each one of us. God, you know our failures. You know our, the things that we're ashamed of. You know our history. God, you know the things about us that we don't tell anyone or don't really want to know about ourselves. You, God, you know that we are but dust. You know that from dust we were made and to dust we will return. But God, what is man that you are mindful of us? Why do you care so much about us? But God, you have set your love upon us. You have sent your son to save us. You have sent your spirit to convict us. You have given us your word, Lord, to draw us near to you. Oh God, I pray no one walks out of this room today fooling themselves, thinking they're in faith when really they're just in church. Oh, God, would you grant us repentance? Would you grant us the wisdom and the ability to see Christ and to savor him, to enjoy him, and to trust him? Lord, that we might truly enter rest. Thank you, God. You are gracious and kind. We love you, Lord. For the glory of Christ, I pray. Amen.